Welcome home. You're listening to the 180 Church Podcast with Dr. Sammy and friends. Dr. Sammy and friends are resting this week and will return next week. However, we have a leader from our local church community giving today's message. Good Friday, everyone. It's an awesome moment to celebrate together the death, the passion, and the glory of Jesus Christ. Surely we don't call today good because of what happened tonight. The means in which God used to save the world and the process was awful, but the purpose behind it was awfully beautiful. Today, as we reflect upon the songs that we sang, and that even one powerful moment as we reflected on the cross, we're reminded of the amazing love of God. So, before Daryl Johnson preaches tonight, a message entitled, It Is Finished, a powerful message on what Jesus says, the very word he says before he dies. It is finished, Jesus says. What is finished? What is so certain that he has come all the way from the cosmos, from the heavens, to finish a work? Of course, creation and recreation. Today, in the midst of the tension of Good Friday, the, the tensions that we face in our lives, in the lives of our friends and our family, the tension the world faces. In the cross, God completes recreation. In not the first Adam, but the second. And I'm looking forward as Daryl excavates and exposits those words. Right now, let's exhale and center ourselves and get ready for this moment. Exhale. All the ruminating thoughts, all the automatic thoughts, bring it to the feet of the Lord. All those tensions, let it die with Christ today on the cross. And inhale the transcending presence of God. And as the water and blood flowed from the cross, may that amazing grace and the love of God fill you with hope. As we start our service today and continue it, let us pray for the tensions that we face in our lives and the tensions others face, our families, our friends, and the tensions that the world is facing in a call and response. Lord, we pray for all who suffer, for the hungry and the homeless, the deprived and the oppressed, for the sick and the wounded and the handicapped, for those in loneliness and in fear, for those in confusion, doubt, and despair, for the sorrow and the bereaved, for the prisoners, and for all at the point of death, that God's love will comfort and sustain them, that we may be stirred up to minister to them. All in unison, Lord, in your mercy, 
hear our prayer and hear our cry. Let us pray for all those who do not believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, for all those who have never heard the message of salvation, for all those who've lost their faith, for those who are indifferent to Christ, for those who actively oppose Christ by word or deed and persecute Christ's disciples, for those in the name of Christ have persecuted others, that God would open their hearts to the truth and lead them to faith and obedience. All in unison, Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer and hear our cry. God, our refuge and strength, accept the fervent prayers of your people and bring to fulfillment your plan for all creation through Jesus Christ, your firstborn, who is alive with you in unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever, evermore. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer and hear our cry. Amen. Hi 180, happy Good Friday. Today's verse is from John chapter 19, verses 17 to 37. They took Jesus therefore, and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two other men, one on either side and Jesus in between. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It was written, Jesus of Nazarene, the King of the Jews. Therefore, many of the Jews read this inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews were saying to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his outer garments and made four parts, a part to every soldier and also the tunic. Now the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, to decide whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture. They divided my outer garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Therefore the soldiers did these things. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus then saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. From that hour, the disciple took her into his own household. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things that had already been accomplished to fulfill the scripture said, I am thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was standing there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine upon a branch of hyssop and brought it up to his mouth. Therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Then the Jews, because it was the day of preparation, so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and, then, and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs and broke the legs of the first man and of the other who was crucified with him. But coming to Jesus, when they saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out. And he who has seen has testified, and the testimony is true. And he knows that he is telling the truth, so that you also may believe. For these things came to pass to fulfill the scripture, not a bone of him shall be broken. And again, another scripture says, they shall look on him whom they pierced. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, guys. Say bye. Bye. The writer of the words we just read was there. 
the Apostle John was there, standing near the cross. The beloved disciple, as he is called, was there. Along with four soldiers gambling for Jesus' tunic, and four women who, like John, had become Jesus' disciples and who, like John, loved Jesus. The Apostle John was there on that awful Friday afternoon, an eyewitness to the events. And in the text we just read, he tells us what he saw. He bears witness to what he sees. And here's what I want to emphasize this morning. At the heart of what John sees and wants us to see is what he hears. At the heart of what John sees and wants us to see is what he hears. In fact, it's because of what he hears that he's able to see. At the heart of what John sees is what he hears. And what he hears is, it is finished. John chapter 19, verse 30. When Jesus therefore received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. The verb is in the perfect tense, finished and still finished. Done, nothing more needs to be done ever. What is finished? As I've suggested many times, it is not just a nice theological question. For it turns out that we need what happened at the cross to happen. And either we believe it happened, that it is finished, or because we so desperately need it to happen, we will spend the rest of our lives trying to make it happen ourselves. It is finished, he says as he dies. What is finished? Did you notice that when Jesus makes his great declaration, John tells us the Sabbath was about to begin. Jesus bowed his head at the ninth hour, 3 p.m. The Sabbath would begin around sunset at 6 p.m. Jesus speaks his words, it is finished in the shadow of the Sabbath, so to speak. Now, as a way to welcome the Sabbath, a particular text of Scripture was always read. Do you happen to know what it is? Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. The seventh stanza of the Song of Creation, as we have it in the opening chapters of the Bible. The Sabbath was welcomed by reading Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. Let me read Genesis 2, 1 to 2. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all their hosts. And by the seventh day God finished the work that He had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work he had done. The Sabbath is welcomed with the words, finished. And as you know from Genesis 1, the work that God had finished was work that God did by his word. Let there be, seven times, let there be, let there be, let there be. Creation coming into being by the Word. The universe coming into being by the Word. Humanity formed by the Word. In the beginning was the Word. And on the seventh day, God finished His work by the Word. Is Jesus, as a good Jew, 
even in excruciating pain, doing what he would have done every Friday afternoon for 33 years? Is Jesus anticipating Sabbath? And is he welcoming Sabbath by reciting to himself the words that welcome Sabbath? We do know that Jesus prayed many scriptures from the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 22. I thirst, Psalm 69. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, Psalm 31. As the Sabbath closes in, is Jesus' heart and mind also filled with scriptures about Sabbath? God finished the work which he had done and rested on the seventh day. It is finished. I did it, Dad. I finished the work. In his book, Jesus and His Story, Ethelbert Stauffer observes that what God began by the Word, God completes by the Word. What God had begun by the Word in the day of creation, God finished by the Word in the day of redemption. And then He rested. Jesus, the Word made flesh, rested from all His work in the grave. He rested because it is finished. What is finished? The answer, or part of the answer, is what John is describing in the text we just read. John 19, 17 to 37. In the details he remembers, and there were many more details, but in the details that he remembers, John is helping us understand what is finished. John points to soldiers gambling for Jesus' tunic. He points to sour wine being lifted up on a hyssop branch. He points to soldiers not breaking Jesus' legs. He points to a soldier piercing Jesus' side. And he points to blood and water oozing from Jesus' wounds. Details that help us understand what is finished. Now, the fact is, John has been preparing us to see what he sees and wants us to see in everything he has told us up to this point. So too Jesus. Jesus has been preparing his disciples to see what he wants us to see. Throughout his gospel, John has spoken of Jesus' hour. A number of times he said Jesus' hour had not yet come. And each time John makes this observation, he speaks of Angry, violent men seizing Jesus. The hour is the hour of being seized. Throughout his gospel, John has spoken of Jesus knowing all things that were coming upon him. And each time John makes that observation, the clear reference is to acts of violence that are going to be committed against Jesus. And John has prepared us to see what he sees by reporting prophetic words spoken by unlikely voices. In the meeting of the council, where it was finally decided that Jesus must be brought down, Caiaphas, the high priest, says, it is expedient that one man die for the nation. He is speaking of socio-political expediency, but unknown to himself, he is speaking a prophetic word, one for the nation. 
In Jesus' trial before the Roman governor, Pilate speaks prophetic words. Pilate wants to release Jesus, but he does not succeed. He's afraid to act on his convictions. But in the process, Pilate speaks words that prepare us to understand the cross. I find no guilt in this man. Jesus is innocent of any crime deserving this kind of punishment. Behold the man. Paul, Pilate realizes that Jesus is not just any man, but the man. Humanity as humanity was designed to be. Behold your king. When the religious leaders commit blasphemy by declaring we have no king but Caesar, Pilate declares the kingship of Jesus. We do not know how far he went with that, but the fact is he speaks the truth. Jesus is a king. And so Pilate writes over the cross, Jesus of Nazarene, king of the Jews, in three languages because Jesus draws all people to himself. Through the voice of a struggling politician, we are being prepared to understand that on Friday afternoon, a king is being tortured. On Friday afternoon, as the Sabbath is about to arrive, the king of kings is, as he dies, paradoxically being lifted up on his throne. And throughout the Gospel of John, Jesus has been preparing his disciples to see what he wants us to see. You remember when he cleansed the temple for the first time, he says, destroy this temple. In three days, I will build it. John helps us understand Jesus is referring to his own body. Jesus is telling his disciples that his body is going to be destroyed in some way. In a conversation with the leading disciple, or theologian of the day, a rabbi named Nicodemus, Jesus says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Lifted up, referring to being lifted up on some kind of pole. During the Feast of Tabernacles, as the dialogue intensifies, Jesus says, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am. Again, Jesus is preparing his disciples for Jesus to be lifted up on some kind of pole. During the Feast of Dedication, he speaks of himself as the Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd, he says, lays down his life for his sheep. And then, I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one has taken it from me. I lay it down on my own initiative. He's preparing his disciples for some kind of death. On Palm Sunday, after stating that the hour had come, Jesus says, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, he's preparing us for the great surprise that the glory of God is going to be finally manifested in the act of self-sacrifice, in the act of dying for others. On Palm Sunday, he declares, now judgment is upon this world. Justice is now going to finally be done. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Jesus is now entering into cosmic battle. Evil is going to be unmasked and tackled head on. So, all along the way, John, and more importantly, Jesus, has been preparing us to understand what is happening at the cross. Then John tells us the details that he saw. It is finished, he hears. What is finished? John tells us that the four soldiers are gambling for Jesus' tunic. Men wore garments close to the body, these tunics, and then over them, outer garments for more uh, public interaction. The soldiers had torn the outer garments into four pieces. The tunic, though, 
was too valuable to tear. So they cast lots to see who could keep it. And John sees in this act the fulfillment of Scripture. Fulfillment of what Scripture? Psalm 22. The psalm that Matthew and Mark tell us, Jesus prays from the cross. This is the psalm that begins with, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And ends with, He has performed it. He has done it. He has finished it. The psalm speaks of a righteous sufferer. A sufferer who does not deserve the particular form of suffering that he is suffering. And then right in the middle of the psalm, it says... The psalmist says, a band of evildoers surrounded me. They pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. In the soldiers gambling for Jesus' tunic, John sees Jesus as the righteous sufferer who is suffering what he does not deserve to suffer. John sees more, though. John emphasizes that the tunic is seamless, seamless. Yes, many of those worn by men were seamless, but one person's garment was definitely seamless. Do you know who that would be? The high priest. The high priest clothing was seamless. Is John not saying that this now is the true high priest who is suffering that day? The Greek word that John uses, according to the Jewish historian Josephus, refers to the seamless garment of the high priest. Is John not saying that the righteous sufferer is the priest who is now making atonement for sin and that Jesus dies not only as a king but as a priest? I think so. What is finished? All that the priestly system was designed to accomplish. This is the one great high priest who in this one act of suffering is offering the one final sacrifice for sin. He is now entering into the separation sin deserves, absorbing it himself so that we never have to experience it. It is finished. What is finished? John tells us that Jesus says, I am thirsty. And again, this, says John, is the fulfillment of Scripture. What Scripture? Psalm 69. Take some time in the next days to read Psalm 69. It's a psalm that played a major role in the early church's understanding of who Jesus is and what he accomplished. John had earlier quoted from this psalm after Jesus cleansed the temple. John says, And his disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. Psalm 69, 9. During the meal that Jesus had prepared for his disciples on Monday, Thursday, Jesus quotes Psalm 69, 4. They hated me without cause. Now, Psalm 69 begins with the cry, Save me, O God, for the waters have threatened my life. And the psalm ends with the confidence that though I am afflicted and in pain, the Lord hears the needy. 
Again, John sees in Jesus one who suffers righteously, innocently. Psalm 69 is all about one who does not deserve to suffer as he suffers. But he suffers, this is what the psalm says, that he suffers because he's so close to God. He does not suffer because he's away from God. He suffers because he's so close to God. Psalm 69, 9 again, speaking to God, the psalmist says, the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. John is saying that Jesus experiences in himself the hostility of the world against God. What rebellious humanity wants to do to God, they're now doing to Jesus. What sin wants to do to God, it is now doing to Jesus. What evil wants to do to God, it is now doing to Jesus. And in the middle of Psalm 69, in verses 20 to 21, the righteous sufferer prays. Reproach has broken my heart and I am so sick. I looked for sympathy, but there were none. They gave me gall for my food, and for my thirst, they gave me vinegar to drink. I am thirsty. The irony of it, during the Feast of Tabernacles, at the great day of the feast, Jesus cries out with a loud voice, If you are thirsty, come to me and drink, and out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And now on the cross, the thirst quencher is thirsty. The word really did become flesh, thirsty, flesh. Thirsty because he's drinking the cup. The cup the Father has given him to drink. The cup the world should be drinking because of sin. The righteous one drinks this cup for us. He drinks it all the way down so that no one ever has to drink it. It is finished. What is finished? John tells us that the soldiers did not break Jesus' legs. The religious leaders did not want the bodies of the crucified to be on the cross for Sabbath, so they asked Pilate to break the legs. It's an act that is meant for the crucified ones to not be able to breathe much longer, an act that would hasten their deaths. When the soldiers come to Jesus, they see that he is already dead, so they do not break his legs. And in this act, John sees again the fulfillment of Scripture. What Scripture? Exodus 12, 46. Not a bone of him shall be broken. In Exodus 12, the people of God are being prepared for their exodus from Egypt. They are told that the God of justice is about to free them from their bondage that the God of justice is about to execute judgment against the gods of, is of Egypt, against the spiritual powers holding people captive. They are told to take an unblemished lamb, kill it, take its blood, spread the blood on the doorpost of their houses so that when the God of justice moves through Egypt, they would be spared the judgment of death. I will pass over you, says the Lord. Now, a number of other instructions are given about this lamb, culminating in Exodus 12:46. Nor are you to break any of its bones. 
Do not break the bones of this lamb. But coming to Jesus, John says, when the soldiers saw that he was already dead, they did not break his bones. <laughs> Do you see what John sees? Jesus is the Passover lamb who is making possible a new and greater exodus. John's insight is reinforced by the fact that the soldier who offers Jesus the sour wine puts a sponge with the wine on a branch of hyssop. In Exodus 12, the people are instructed to spread the blood of the Passover lamb on the doorpost using a branch of hyssop. John sees in the crucified Jesus the great Passover lamb, the lamb who takes away the sin of the world and who therefore frees us from the finality of death. These things came to pass, says John, that the Scripture might be fulfilled. Not a bone of him shall be broken. This, by the way, is why we say what we say at the Lord's table. We say, this is my body which is given for you. We do not say, this is my body broken for you. We do not say that. It's not in the Scripture. Do not say that if you serve communion. This is my body broken for you. His body was not broken. His body was given. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. This is my body given for you. No one is taking his life from him. He is freely giving his life for the world. Not a bone of him shall be broken. It is finished. What is finished? And John tells us that when one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side, there came out blood and water. That is, Jesus really dies. The Word became flesh and died, really died. Already by the time John wrote his gospel, the so-called docetists were denying that the Word became a real human being. He only appeared to be a man, and he only appeared to die. There came out blood and water. Jesus really dies. He really gives his life away. Now, I will leave it to you doctors to explain how both blood and water came out of him. What I want to emphasize is that John points us to a deeper reality. As Jesus sheds his blood, he is making something else possible. He's making possible the flow of water. The water is a sign of the cleansing power of the blood. The water is a sign that this blood is washing away sin. The water is a sign that he's doing a great cleansing work. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me pure within? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is that flow that makes me white as snow. 
No other flow I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. And the water is a sign of the gift he gives us as he gives his life away. I quoted a moment ago Jesus' words on the great day of the Feast of Tabernacles. If you are thirsty, come to me and drink, and out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And then John adds his own theological observation. This Jesus spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For the Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. The living water is the Holy Spirit, the very life of the living God. And one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, and there came out blood and water. As Jesus dies, the water begins to flow out of his wounds because as Jesus dies, his wounds overcome all the obstacles to the flow of the Spirit into human lives. The shedding of his blood makes possible the flow of living water. The shedding of His blood makes possible the coming of the Holy Spirit to live with and in unholy humans. Which accounts for John's final reference to Scripture being fulfilled on that Friday afternoon. And again, another Scripture, he says, they shall look on Him whom they have pierced. What Scripture? Zechariah 12 10. Echoes of Zechariah's prophecy are found throughout the New Testament. John quoted from it as he told the Palm Sunday story. Fear not, daughter of Zion, your king is coming, seated on a donkey. That's Zechariah 9.9. Now, listen to the full sentence from which John quotes relative to the piercing of Jesus' side. Zechariah 12.10. Listen. God is speaking. That's an important thing. God is speaking in what I'm now going to read, Zechariah 12:10. And I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and of supplication so that they will look on me whom they have pierced and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son. They will weep bitterly over him like the bitter weeping for a firstborn. Let me read that again. God is speaking. I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. So they will look on me whom they have pierced and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son. They will weep bitterly over him like the bitter weeping of a, over a first son. You see why John is drawn to this scripture? God promises the outpouring of the Spirit and makes that promise in the context of God being pierced, who in that moment is then spoken of as a son, the only son, the firstborn son. And then right after the text that John quotes, God says in Zechariah 13, 1, In that day a fountain will be opened for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, a fountain for sin and impurity. And right after that text, it reads, Strike the shepherd that the sheep may be scattered. You see what John sees? In Jesus being pierced in his side, the great shepherd, the good shepherd, is being struck, laying down his life for the sheep. He's being pierced so that the spirit of grace can flow out of him, washing sin and impurity. It is finished. 
what is finished. Let me try to summarize what John, who was there that Friday, wants us to know. Put most succinctly, the great story of God's salvation of the world has reached its critical turning point. The great salvation story of God's salvation of the world has reached its critical turning point. That's why John says four times that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not just a number of isolated texts, but the whole story. The whole story that began in the beginning. The story that then moved through the election of Israel to be a blessing to all the world. And the story that is now being lived out in the word made flesh. John wants us to see another plan being worked out on that Good Friday. The religious leaders had their plan. The political leader had his plan. Sin had its plan. Evil had its plan. Death had its plan. And so did God. Another plan was being worked out, working with and through and over all those other plans. God's plan was being fulfilled. These things came to pass that Scripture might be fulfilled. This is why we sing on Easter morning, love's redeeming work is done on Friday, on the cross, before the resurrection. Love's redeeming work is done. Done because the final and sufficient Passover lamb has been offered up by the lamb himself. He offered himself up once and for all. There is no need for any more sacrifices. Say that one again. There's no need for any more sacrifices. It's been done once and for all. You don't have to offer up any more sacrifices. And therefore, the new and final exodus can begin. Because the Passover lamb has been offered up, we can now move out of bondage to sin and death into a new world into a new world where God has been glorified. Jesus' greatest passion is to glorify God, to reveal the nature and character of God. And he did it. He did it. Friday afternoon was the great moment of glorification. God's essential nature and character was clearly manifested for the whole world to see. In the man hanging from the cross, we see God's glorious self-giving, self-sacrificing, self-emptying love that is his glory. If the confession is right, the chief end of man is to glorify God, then the chief of end of man has been accomplished. The man has done it. The man, Jesus Christ, has glorified God once and for all. That burden doesn't rest on our shoulders. Jesus Christ has done it once and for all. And a new world in which the king has taken his throne. The king who reigns in self-emptying love. A very different kind of king. The king who, in the words of D.A. Carson, is the kingliest king of all kings because he turns an obscene instrument of torture into the throne of glory. Very soon, the early church began to use the phrase, he reigns from the tree. Jesus Christ, the king, reigns from the tree, from the cross. Psalm 16:10. say among the nations, the Lord reigns, soon became in the liturgy, say among the nations, the Lord reigns from the tree. The king of glory has been installed on his throne. Self-sacrificing, self-emptying love now rules the universe. And a new world 
in which the Holy Spirit is being poured out upon the human race. The king, the priest, the shepherd now pours his spirit on the world. And there came from his side blood and water, rivers of living water. It is finished. And now it can begin. The new world he died to bring into being. The kingdom of God can now happen. So come, let us with the soldiers and the women and John gather around this table set beneath the cross and with the soldiers and the women and John <laughs> and with Jesus, let us celebrate. It is finished. What a powerful moment about what is finished in the cosmos, in our own lives, and around the world, that the kingdom has come. In Christ, it has come. And now it has begun God's creation. The intention of God's beautiful work in Him and through Him. So let's pray that in Christ that we are formed. All the resistance, all the tensions can rest in Him. As I pray this prayer, please reflect. Gracious and loving God, you know the deep inner patterns of my life that keep me from being totally yours. You know the misinformed structures of my being that hold me in bondage to something less than your high purpose for my life. You also know my reluctance to let you have your way with me in these areas. Hear the deeper cry of my heart for wholeness. And by your grace, enable me to be open to your transforming presence today. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer and hear our cry. Rejected and alone like a rose Trampled on the ground You took the fall Part of me Above all of the earth. 
fight Lay behind a stone You live to die Rejected and alone Like a rose Trampled on the ground You took the fall And thought of me Thought of me crucified, lay behind a stone, you live to die, rejected and alone, like a rose, trampled on the ground. Took the fall and thought of me. Above all, Welcome to our Sunday service at 180 Church. My name is Minyang, and I'll be going over our community news before going into our sermon for today. Our first announcement is about tithes and offering. If you're a member here at 180 Church, we ask that you remember to keep God in the center of your finances. So please tithe faithfully, which you can do at Venmo, Zelle, Chase Quick Pay, or PayPal. If you're a visitor with us here today, we welcome you to our service, and there's no financial obligation to give. But if you'd like to make a donation, you can feel free to do so in those methods. Our next announcement is about, is about Bible Reading Group, or BRG, as we like to call it here. We have an Instagram handle and a Tumblr page at 180BRG, where you can jump in at any time to read the Bible with us. Um, there are regular posts on both channels, so feel free to follow along and get fed with the Word of God. Um, speaking on getting fed with the Word of God, we now have devotionals available for purchase at our 180 Cafe. Um, as Dr. Sammy mentioned last week, um, devotionals are a great way to tune into our hearts and God's heart, even when we don't have the words or the power to pray. And we have a few available that you can purchase via uh, Venmo or QuickPay at the cafe now, so feel free to check them out. Next up is all of the different ways that you can pray with us or pray with us or request prayer from our prayer team at 180. We invite you to use these resources at 5397prayer or prayer at 180church.tv. And we also have house of prayer here in the theater at 1140 uh, before service begins. So feel free to come and align your hearts. Next up is all the different ways on social media that you can stay connected with our church. We're on three Instagram handles at 180church, 180brg, and 180fellowship. We have a YouTube channel at 180churchNYC. Dr. Sammy here, uh, our past, head pastor here at 180 Church, has a Twitter page at Dr. Sammy Kim. Our Facebook page is at 180 Church. And as mentioned, we have a Tumblr page at 180brg, so feel free to follow us, like us, and keep up with us throughout the week.
Our next announcement is about small groups, which are still mostly being held remotely during this time. Um, small groups are where we can meet in smaller pockets of our community and connect during the week. Our adult groups meet the Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Our young adult group meets every Thursday at 7.30 p.m. And our college group, 180 Fellowship, meets in pers person, I believe, on Mondays at 7.30 p.m. And if you're interested in getting plugged in, you can come talk to me after service. Our next announcement is about our children's ministry. We need volunteers to help with watching our little runs during Sunday service. So if you enjoy hanging out with the younger crew and helping them to learn more about Jesus, you can speak to Pastor Leah or Michelle Kim. Uh, we also need volunteers for our 180 Cafe, which you guys passed on your way in here. We have a great team who serves up really delicious coffee and tea and other beverages, and they need some more help um, and more hands. So if you're interested in helping out, you can talk to Danny O or Wendy Lee. Or if you're, if, if you're interested in serving the community in a different way than the ones I mentioned, we do need more people on the greeting team to help welcome our members and visitors. So if you'd like to help out in this way, you can also talk to Danny O or Wendy Lee about this. That's it for all of our announcements today.